You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. It's true that Jesus leads us. He leads us through those places that are so wearying to us. Leads us through them so that he can lead us to a living hope. Sometimes the place that we find hope is exactly the place where we lost it. Peter lost his hope in the deep water, and that's just the place that Jesus sends him now to find it. Would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, which you'll find on page 836 of the Pew Bible. Let's stand together and read this text aloud. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to getting to know Peter better these next six weeks together as we study him in this new series called Jump Start. At the end of Peter's life, he writes a letter to his friends and he says, we have a living hope and I know I need that living hope. So I'm excited to get to know Peter, but I also am excited to get to know Peter, frankly, because I feel like he's a guy that I can get to know. He is a guy, just a regular guy. Peter seems always to say exactly what I would want to say if I had been in the scene with Jesus. He seems to do what, um, even though I wouldn't want to do it, I probably would do it in the scene with Jesus. When Jesus is walking on the water, there's Peter. He goes, hey, that looks fun. Jesus, I want you to help me walk on the water too. Uh, He's got this moment where Peter is the only one who seems to get who Jesus is. He gets it right. And then he turns right around and he gets it totally wrong. Uh, Peter is a guy who says, when everybody else denies you, I will be faithful. And then, of course, what happens? He denies him three times. 
Peter gets it right, he gets it wrong, he's got success, he's got failure, he's kind of wallowing his way through. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ in, in the same way that I am as well? So if Jesus can learn what it is to have a living hope through relationship with Jesus Christ, I, if Peter can learn it, I think I can learn that as well. We'll be asking questions, where does that hope come from? How does Peter get it? And what does Jesus do to, so to speak, jumpstart this living hope inside this disciple, uh, Peter? Well, as we read the story this morning, it appears that Jesus wants to begin this process in the very places that you and I lose hope. Peter's a fisherman. If there's anything you could know about fishermen, it's that location matters. You know, fishermen are probably one class of people, more than realtors, for whom the truth of the statement is that, you know, location, location, location. If you are a fisherman, you know what it's like to have a great day of fishing. You're out there, and you, which means you actually catch fish. You catch fish, and you think, oh, I'm going to come back to this place uh, and uh, as next chance I can. On the other hand, when you are out there fishing and you catch nothing, and you've been working hard, you say, you know, this is probably one of the last places I'm going to check again. See, location uh, matters. It's interesting, I've um, talked about fishing a little bit before here with some of you, and um, I've heard that a number of you are fisher persons as well, but what I've never been able to find out is where the actual fishing happens in western Washington. It's interesting, you know, everybody talks to me about how big the fish were, how many the fish were, and then when it gets around to, well, where did you actually catch that fish? It's kind of, oh, it was just, it was a beautiful place. I'm amazed at how many fish there are in beautiful places here in Washington, but I can't actually ever find out where they were. One woman says, if you think my husband is going to tell you where he fishes, you're a guy who puts a microphone on and speaks to 3,000 people every week. There's no way he's going to tell you where he actually catches fish. And so here's Peter. He's been working all night long in this particular place called the Deep Waters, and he's exhausted. He comes back, and Jesus says, I want you to go back out there. Why? Why would he do that? Well, I think there are two reasons. But before I tell you those two reasons, I just want to back up and, and give you a, a sense of what's happening here, the context. This is the story. It's a familiar story. But um, Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee up north near Capernaum. And if you go to Capernaum today, you'll find there are a series of scalloped beaches beside it. Perfect amphitheaters for a teacher. And the crowds have pressed in so much that Jesus needs a little bit of distance and so he, uh, he jumps into a boat. There are a couple of boats there, beach, fishing boats, 20 to 30 feet long. And he says to one of them, to Peter, push me back. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus and Peter have met. We find out in the other Gospels that uh, Peter met Jesus at the introduction of his brother Andrew when Peter and Andrew were down south in Judea listening to this very dynamic preacher called John the Baptist. They met each other there, but Luke tells us in the scene immediately before this that Jesus has actually come to Peter's house in Capernaum. There with Peter and his wife and his wife's mother, spent some time with them. Jesus has even healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. So they know each other, and when Jesus says to Peter, push the boat out, Peter does it. Pushes the boat back out, and Jesus sits in the bow of the boat, and now he's got a little bit of space. His voice will carry very nicely across the water up into this amphitheater. And the people are listening to what Luke calls the word of God. When Jesus' teaching is done, he concludes his message, uh, encourages the people to leave. And now he turns his attention to the man in the boat, uh, to Peter. 
And he says to Peter, don't you put out into the deep water. And I love the freedom of Peter to push back a little bit on Jesus. He goes, uh, you know what, carpenter boy, um, <laughs> we've been into the deep water already. Uh, um, we, we've been there, in fact, all night. And what I really need right now is a, a, a really good sleep. So glad to help with the teaching. It was very interesting. You kept me awake. But now I'm going to bed. Jesus says, nope, you're not. You're going back out. Why would he do that? Well, I think there are two reasons. And the first is this. Jesus wants to lead us, you and me, through our disappointments. Peter groans. Remember, he's a fisherman. It's about the location. In the first century Palestine, day of Peter and Jesus, there were two types of fishing nets that commercial fishermen would have used. There's a light net that was used for throwing over the side of the boat to catch shallow fish, a school of fish on the surface. Usually you'd find them in the daylight, and you'd fish with these shallow nets. you just cast them out. There's another kind of a net, another name for them, and those were nets that were considerably larger. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is 100 to 200 feet, is 100 to 200 feet deep, and uh, with these large nets on long, sometimes 100-foot-long lines, uh, they, they could drag the bottom, the deep water, of the lake. This is what Peter and his partners have been doing all night. They've been sailing, or more likely rowing through the dark, hauling these massive nets. And in this location, the deep water, they have found nothing. They've scooped and scooped and scooped. They've hauled and hauled and hauled. And they now know there are no fish in that location now. And yet Jesus says, I want you to go back out there to that very same place. Why would he send them back to this place, this place of disappointment? Well, I think it's because he wants to lead Peter through it, through his disappointment. You see, when you and I face disappointment, there are usually two reactions to it most commonly. We're trying to ignore it or we're indulge it. We'll ignore it. And, you know, Christians are great at this. There's a kind of plastic smile, you know, uh, such a bright smile, the teeth dry out, and you go, is that thing real? That's amazing. You know, life can't really be that good, can it? And we think that Jesus wants us always to be happy and perky, and that's what would please him. So we cover up the depths of pain in our lives with a kind of a veneer of what looks like hope, but if it is, it's a rather superficial hope. We ignore our disappointments. On the other hand, sometimes we indulge them. We say, I'm going to drown myself in the depths because that's the, the hand that life has dealt me. And um, I'm really angry about it. And we wallow in the bitterness and we say, I just knew this was coming. And this was what was coming. And I don't expect anything more of life. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to face your disappointments because I want to resolve them with you and move you through them. Peter had hopes in those deep waters, the kind of hope that kept him and his boys working all night, the kind of hope that would allow them to give up all of their energy to exhaust themselves in the task. It's a good hope. They were making a living. They needed the fish. It's their business. And Jesus says, that's great, but don't ever confuse your living with your life. Don't ever confuse, confuse the small hopes, the important hopes, with the big hope, capital H. I want to draw you back into the disappointments of your life to see maybe there's some places where he would put more weight than the hope can hold. Then you ultimately need to see sometimes that those waters are empty. 
and that there's something so much more. I actually think Jesus wants Peter to make this little confession. You don't have to follow me here. It's just my theory. But uh, in, in verse 5, when Peter says, Master, we've worked all night long, but have caught nothing. I think Jesus is pleased with Peter's response because that's the truth. You know, we've hauled through those waters and there's just nothing there. He's confessing the emptiness of a hope. It was a good hope, but it just wouldn't materialize on that particular night. And Jesus goes, you know what? There's something important there because sometimes our hopes won't. Sometimes things don't go the way you want them to go. He's in a way confessing what the book of Ecclesiastes is in the Bible to confess. And that is you and I go running after so many different hopes in this world. And they're all good things. But we can if we turn them into the best thing, the only thing, the most important thing, then we will be disappointed. And here the figure in the figure of Solomon says, you know, I have hoped in wealth. I have hoped in beauty. I have hoped in wisdom. I have hoped in power. I have hoped in sensuality. I have hoped in uh, wine. I have hoped in everything. I've had it all. And I'm here to tell you, it's vanity. He uses a Hebrew word which simply means empty. I've dragged the nets through all of that water and there's no there there. It's good to realize that. Because you and I have a tendency to think that life is about the fish. And it's not. I was thinking about this week, my own disappointments, and um, I um, found myself very disappointed. Actually, I picked up the phone, as I oftentimes do, and I called a friend of mine uh, in California, and he didn't answer the phone. This is a mentor, uh, a man that I, I love deeply. His wife was on the phone, and she was cheerful. She says, hi, George, and uh, she says, you know, he's not here, um, and then I could hear her tone starting to shift. He's in the hospital. He's bleeding internally, and he's been there since Tuesday. Uh, this is Friday, and they don't know what's wrong. You can call him on his cell phone. And I called him on his cell phone, and I could hear the weakness in his voice. And you know what? I, I began to think that maybe my friend, who's older, is not going to make it out of the hospital this time. That's very disappointing to me, because I'm not ready for him to go. I want him to live. I need him to live. It's very important to me. And, and, and I, you know, I, I prayed for him then on the phone, and I have prayed for him almost constantly since. And there's something inside of me that wants to go either of two directions. You know, to, to ignore the disappointment and go, oh, he'll be better. Don't worry about it, George. We'll get through this. Or to indulge it and go, ah, this just proves it. This just proves it. That life is hopeless. But I tell you what. That wasn't his attitude. We had a brief conversation, very brief. But what he said to me is, you know, I wrote it down. It impact. He said, George, now I have a hundred stories of hope for you. I thought, wow, what does he mean? And I said, well, I don't, I don't want a hundred stories of hope with you in the hospital. I'm not interested in those stories. I want your other stories of hope. And he says, well, George, it's okay. Because I know he's with me. I've known it all along, and I know it now. I know that he is with me. He's with me in the valley of the shadow. I have hope. And you see, that's what I needed to hear. That's the reality of the greater hope, capital H, in the midst of my disappointments. It's that Jesus is there for him, and Jesus is here for me. 
What are your disappointments? What have you hoped for? Some of us have had hopes for school that just didn't work out that way. Some of us had hopes for relationships and our hearts have been broken. Some of us have hopes for our careers and our jobs. And, you know, it's like not to have a job for months and months and months. It's not just about the money. It's about the shame. and the, It's a deep disappointment. Some of us have hopes about our family life, that we'd have a family, that we'd be married. Or when you get married, about the relationship. You know, if you don't have a sense of disappointment in your marriage, you haven't been married more than a week. That's a healthy part of marriage. And you need to find a way to face those disappointments. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the one who helps us with that disappointment as well. Maybe it's retirement. You had hopes that your retirement would work a certain way, and it's just not working that way. And Jesus wants to say, I want to turn you towards that disappointment. I want you to confess the weariness of life. And it is. And then I want you to be open to a new way of knowing me because I have hope for you right there. In the emptiness of this space. And that's really the second reason why Jesus sends Peter back out. First, Jesus wants to lead us through our disappointments. But secondly, Jesus wants to lead us into a living hope. See, it's not about the fish, Peter finds out. It's about the fisherman. It's about this strange character, now extremely strange to him. He thought he knew him because he'd met him before, but he'd never known him like this. He's sitting right here in his boat with a big smile on his face. And it freaks Peter out. (laughs) Really what happens here is that Jesus catches Peter. And that's the language we ought to use about this passage. And here's the surprise of the text. It's not the fish that Jesus catches, it's the man that Jesus catches. He catches Peter. Look at verse 10. In this little summary statement, in this little affirmation trying to reduce Peter's fear, Jesus tells him what this has all been about. He says, do not be afraid, Peter. From now on, you will be catching people implied like me. Now, this word catching is interesting. It only occurs two places in the New Testament and once only in a context like this. Jesus says, you'll be catching. And that word in the Greek is a compound word, meaning sort of grab for life. It's usually used in military contexts where uh, rather than killing somebody, They're spared. They're captured alive. What Jesus is saying, I see the trouble. I see the struggle. I see the danger in your life. And I have just reached out to capture you for life. That's what it means to be alive in Christ. It means to have a living relationship with Jesus and to receive his life in the midst of our lives. How does Jesus catch Peter? Well, he catches him with a surprise, doesn't he? I mean, again, it's not the fish. You get the impression they leave the fish behind. Luke tells us they left everything and followed him. They found the fisherman. It's not the fish, but the fish really the occasion for the surprise. The fish is kind of the wow moment. There's so much fish that nets are tearing. They've got to bring in the second boat. The boat begins to go under. I think there's a note of comedy here. You're kidding me. That many fish. It's just a surprise. By the way, when there's real hope in your life, it'll always be a surprise. It's not about the dreams you conjure for yourself. It's always about the interruption of God breaking in with a surprise that you couldn't have even imagined. Surprise. 
I remember a surprise when Ann and I were young and married. I wanted Ann, my wife, to have the best honeymoon any bride had ever had, so I took her fishing. <laughs> she learned a little bit about fishing. I learned a lot about marriage that week. Uh, took her to Idaho. We were fishing on the Salmon River, and uh, I was just in absolute heaven. The sun is shining. The lunar flying by. You know, the trees are green. It's so quiet and peaceful, and I'm... You know, I'm floating my line over my head, dropping in the water, and it's just perfect, you know. And I look down, and I think, ah, oh, she's loving it too. And uh, there she is about 40 yards downstream. And if body language could indicate cursing, I'm sure she was saying stuff she shouldn't have been saying. <laughs> I, I could, the rod was under her arm, the line was tangled all around her head, between her legs, you know, and she was not fishing at all. And she was in that mode for a long time. And I, I could see her once catching my eye, and she called out to me, she's, get down here, help me. And uh, I wasn't going to go down there because I had a perfect spot. Remember, it's location. <laughs> I was not going to give it up. So I said, you know, lovingly, you just come on up here. And she, so she did. And she was stomping up at the river. I'm just scaring all these fish right into my hole. She was, <laughs> and, and when, she, the, when she got up there, I took the line. I said, oh, this is no big, we can fix this. And I threaded it down and I found it. You know what I found? Pulled it up. There's a trout on her line. She's got a live fish. That was the surprise. I mean, when she had walked up the stream, she apparently was trolling with a dry fly and picks up a trout. And I go, you're great at this. Look at that. What's the secret? That's the way hope breaks into our lives, too. All of a sudden, there's fish where there was nothing but pain. <laughs> I think I'm pushing that too far. Remember... Hope is confident expectation. And so you may say, well, George, if it always hits us as a surprise, in what sense is it a confident expectation? It sounds like something we don't need to pay any attention to, and that's not it. The reason hope is a confident expectation is not because of the outcome. It's not about the fish. It's about the fisherman. We have confidence, hope, capital H, because of who Jesus is. Because Jesus is inviting us to see him in a new and a fresh and exciting, sometimes even a troubling way. We don't get the miracle we ask for sometimes, but we always get the miracle that we need. Because Jesus loves us. Our confidence is in him. So this is the climax, of course, of the story when Simon Peter looks at the fish and then he turns around and he looks at Jesus. And he can hardly contain himself. I mean, he's speechless with wonder. He's seen Jesus, but he's never before seen Jesus. And now he throws himself down on the knees of Jesus Christ. He says, you know, now that I see who you are, I've just got to warn you because you must not know who I am. Get away from me, for I am a sinful person. And Jesus is just smiling because he knows he came to capture for life those who are sinful. That's his mission He's come near to Peter for this purpose. But Peter's overwhelmed. You're too good. You're too powerful. You're too loving. Your glory is stunning. He can't see the half of it. All he sees is the little surprise of fish. But it's enough to give him a confident expectation and a living hope. It's a living hope not because Peter's alive, but because the one in whom he hopes is alive, Jesus. He conquers death. Got an email from uh, from one of you recently. Someone in the congregation gave me permission to read this. Uh, he writes this: My wife and I have spent the last three years praying and hoping for a baby. See, that's a good hope. And we've learned a lot about what it means to pray. Frankly, because they weren't getting the baby. 
Our understanding of God's power and character had become smaller. We began to believe God's best promises were not for us. Through our prayers of desperation, God revealed a whole host of other things in our lives that he wanted to heal in us and release us from. It's been an incredible season of growth. (laughs) Amazingly, we've recently learned that we're expecting a baby. But as we've reveled in this good news, I have been struck by the fact that my gratitude for what we learned about God's love is even larger than my gratitude for this baby. And then he asked, does that make sense? I think it does. He says, I'm so thankful that God has preserved us and continues to remind us that while the miracle of a baby is truly a gift, all of our glory belongs to him and his perfect love and care for us. They have a new relationship with living hope. And that's what happens to Peter as well. Did you happen to notice the change in language from verse 5 when Simon addresses Peter as master, which is just a term you'd use for someone in a position of authority, like a teacher. But when he sees all these fish, the abundance of Jesus, he calls him Lord. He says, go away from me, Lord. That word is a significant word for the early church. There's no way in which they could look back on that and not remember the basic creed of Christianity. Jesus is Lord. They steal that from the Romans who like to affirm that Caesar is Lord. He's all-powerful. He rules the world. They're saying, no, Jesus is Lord. He's all-powerful. He rules the fish. He rules our lives. He's with us. And there's nothing that come against us that can ever defeat the lordship of Jesus Christ. We have a new relationship with him. That's what it means to be captured for life. Well, finally... I just want to suggest that Jesus wants to lead you through your disappointment so that he can lead you into a living hope through relationship with him. What do you have to do for that? Well, not very not much. You just need to let him. And that's really all that Peter does. When the Lord says to Peter, Simon, go out into the deep, Simon's answer is enough. He says, essentially, well, I, I don't really know what this is all about. I don't really know why you would do this to me. I, I, I don't understand the meaning of this moment in my life. And, but he says, verse 5, yet if you say so. Yet if you say so. Yet if this is your word to me. Yet if this is your promise. Yet if this is your invitation, then I will. And so Peter does. Very smart man at that moment. And that's all we have to do as well. Simply say, yes, Jesus. If that is what you say, then that will be my hope. He's promising an abundance of life in his presence. He's saying to you today, pull up your nets. You may not find in there what you expect to find in there, but you're going to find in there what you need, and it's going to be so much more. It's my gift to you. He's gifting us constantly, every day, giving us what we need. So we need to pay attention. Jesus was the living hope for Martin Luther King Jr. as well. With this faith, he says, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. That's his I have a dream speech. Martin Luther King Jr. just seemed to be able to see more of what was going on in life than the rest of us because he was looking at Jesus and he knew that his reconciliation, he knew that his justice, his peace would one day come. How did he know that? 1965, Martin Luther King took a phone call after a long day. It was about midnight, and it was an angry person. 
It's one of those 30 to 40 phone calls that were coming every day at that time in his life to curse him. And it kind of got under his skin for a moment. He couldn't sleep. He sat by the, in the kitchen at the table and poured himself a cup of coffee. And he began to pray. And King relates a unique experience that night. It's an experience of the presence and the promise of Jesus for him. He writes, I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. I don't know if you heard that voice audibly, but he, but he has sensed that Jesus was with him. He promised never to leave me, he writes, never to leave me alone. He promised never to leave me, no, never alone. Jesus has made that same promise to you and to me this morning. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love you. I've come to give you my life and, and give it to you abundantly. He is our stone of hope. Let's pray. If we may, Lord Jesus, in our hearts, we also would like to throw ourselves on your knees and worship. We confess that there are times when, whether in worship or just in everyday ordinary life, we don't recognize who you are. We may know that you're with us, but we can't see really who you are and that you're really with us all, uh, that you are with us and for us. And so give us grace to sense the abundance in whatever it is we're going through today. The abundance of your love. The generosity of your grace. The perfection of your living hope. That you've grabbed us, you've caught us, you've caught us, not to hurt us, but to heal us. Not to injure us, but to renew us and to recommission us, that we might be alive in you. We thank you for that gift. We pray that you'd help us to simply say to you, Lord, if you say so. And to look for where you're sending us. Because now, as your partners, we have a new mission to catch others up into this life. And we want to be a people who are observant, who look for the signs of your work breaking into their life as well, giving them hope. So we pray today that you would renew and recommission us as we follow you, follow you into a living hope. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, Visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.